a reading from Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the eyes of the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and she also gave delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. My AP U.S. History teacher, Mr. Sides, had this uh, standing fan in his classroom, just a regular oscillating fan with spinning blades, except that instead of the usual wire contraption that most fans have around the blades to keep fingers away, these spinning blades were just out in the open. Nothing to stop you from just putting your hand in the way of the spinning fan. Mr. Side said that he loved this fan because it made for one fun social experiment. You put a fan like that in a room full of teenagers, and you just know someone is going to touch it. Even the smart kids. Even though touching the fan might hurt you. Even though you could keep yourself completely out of harm's way by simply not touching the fan. Someone always had to try it just to find out. It was just so tempting. By the way, if you're curious, though the blades appeared to be made of hard plastic, they were in fact a soft foam material, and it didn't hurt when you touched the spinning blades. Mr. Sides had no real intention of harming students. (laughs) In our first reading this morning, we go all the way back to the beginning to the very first people. The very first people who God created loved so much and called good. As we read in Genesis, God provides these first people the very best place to live. Oh goodness, does it have everything. Animals that almost all seem friendly, trees with every good food, And they are given just one rule. One rule. Do not eat of this one tree. 
Everything else in this whole spectacular place is yours to take care of and enjoy. But that tree in the center, don't even touch it. And of course, when you're told there's one thing you can't do, oh man, does that make it really hard not to do. That fruit called to those first people like an open fan to a high school student. Sure, it might hurt, but there's only one way to find out. And maybe, just maybe, things will turn out fine. Maybe it's not really as bad as God said. And those first people, being people, after all, do the one thing. They break the one rule. They eat the fruit. They realize they are naked. And they are ashamed of what they've done. This story teaches us something about human nature, that there's something in us, maybe even something good in us, curiosity, an adventurous spirit, but there's something that's tempted by the what if, even if the what if might cause us harm or harm to someone else. This story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit is often called the fall. People read this story as this one pivotal moment that changed the course of human history. Surely Paul reads it that way. He says so in his letter to Romans, but I don't know. I don't think the story is just about this one moment. I think there's a deeper truth here. You put an open blade fan in a classroom and someone is going to touch it. You put forbidden fruit in the middle of a garden and someone at some point is going to try it. Temptation, this desire to do something that's against the rules or might hurt us, temptation is just so human, so universal. Say they didn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that day the tree would still be there the next day. It wasn't going anywhere. Resisting that fruit would have had to become a daily practice, not one pivotal moment to get it right or wrong, not a singular test of their loyalty to their creator, an ongoing choice. Follow the way of God or think maybe that you know better. In our gospel today, we hear another story of temptation. This time, the setting is very different. We're no longer in a lush garden filled with every good food. Instead, Jesus is in the wilderness, a dry, wide-open desert place, a place of isolation and uncertainty and potential danger. He's fasting. He's preparing for his public ministry And that's when he's tempted. You're the son of God. Let's see what you can do. Make bread. Throw yourself down without injury. Rule every earthly kingdom. Power, glory, riches. It could all be yours. Jesus steals himself against the adversary, resisting each temptation, holding fast what he knows is right. 
What Jesus knows is God's will for his life. He is going to follow God's way. It feels like this pivotal moment that Jesus passes the test. But when we continue to read the gospel, we know that this is not the last time that Jesus is tempted. Throughout his ministry, there will be those who try to convince Jesus to do something other than what he is called to do. After Jesus feeds the crowd, they want to make him king. Peter will ask if there's another way besides the cross, and Jesus will say, get behind me, Satan. The disciples become violent at his arrest, and Jesus chooses again the way of nonviolence. Again and again, over and over, Jesus will have to resist these temptations. Each day of his ministry, Jesus chooses the path of service preaching God's unconditional love, welcoming the outcast, challenging those in power, upsetting the status quo. All of these things that will lead him right to the cross in his divine act of reconciling God and people. I think both of these stories, when we take them and put them together, they reveal that Temptation is part of what it means to be human. From the very, very first people to God who came to earth and live among us. To be human is to experience temptation sometimes. And we might think about temptation as happening at these big important moments. The fall, the temptation in the wilderness. But temptation is in all of the little moments that make up our lives, in the choices that we make every day. The temptation to always want just a little bit more than what we already have. The temptation to optimize productivity in an effort to do it all without resting. The temptation to want a quick fix rather than a lasting solution. The temptation to find our security in our possessions and our wealth. The temptation to do something that might hurt you or others because it might be fun. The temptation to break the rules just a little bit, like the speed suggestion, because you probably won't get hurt this time and you're already late. The temptation to be quiet in the presence of injustice. The temptation to hold on to a grudge rather than pursue forgiveness. The temptation of apathy in the face of so much heartbreak in the world. The temptation of thinking that we might know what's best for us without God's help. We settle for what's easier or quicker or feels good at the time, rather than living the life that God desires for us. We choose our way rather than the abundant, eternal life that God is offering. Every Sunday we pray together, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of us might pray these words every day. 
Why do we pray these words so often? Because along with learning how to forgive and being satisfied with our daily bread, we need God's help to resist temptation. It's a daily struggle, and we can't do it alone. During the season of Lent, these 40 days where we prepare for Easter, we use this season of the church year to evaluate our spiritual lives. It's a time of reflection and renewal. We turn away from what distracts us from God, and we turn our lives back to God and what matters most. And to mark these 40 days, some of us might fast from something, like eating meat or using technology at home. Some people might add a spiritual practice, like reading a daily devotional or attending midweek dinner church services. I think in each of these practices, there's the intention, the hope, that we're making more space, more room for God in our lives, that we're inviting God in and opening ourselves up to change. In these practices, we won't be perfect. Sometimes I miss a few days of the devotional, and then I have to catch up a little bit. But God is still in the imperfect. Resisting temptation is also a daily practice. Sometimes we get it right, choosing what is best for us, what God desires for us. And sometimes we don't get it quite right. But we keep practicing. We keep inviting God in. And maybe with lots of practice, we get a little better. That doing God's will becomes a little easier. Our will even starts to align with God's will in some places. And in time, with all these little moments, all of this practice, we are being formed and transformed. We learn and we grow. God keeps gently nudging us in the right direction. That's one of the wonderful things about God. God never abandons us. God never gives up on us. Even after Adam and Eve disobey, after they are punished, God makes them new clothing. God still loves them. God still wants them to be safe and warm. Those clothes become this daily reminder that God is with them on their journey. In this season of Lent, and in every season of our lives, we are simply practicing each day to be God's people, hoping that we get it right more often than we get it wrong. Through Jesus, we have been forgiven, and we are forever clothed in God's grace. May we keep turning back to God, and may we be transformed by God's love and live the abundant lives that God so deeply desires for us. Amen.